What's up, guys? Welcome back to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Wednesday, May 15th, 2019. I'm Tim Geddes, joined by the one and only Gary Witta. Good morning. It is, in fact, Witta Wednesday. It's Witta Wednesday. I wasn't here last week, but I'm here. I'm back. You're back. Yeah. Back and looking better than ever. Thank you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm refreshed. I had my coffee. I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. I I just realized this is going to be... a new kind of KFGD experience for me because I don't awesome. have any show notes. No, we yeah. haven't talked about what the news is. I'm other just than, throwing it at you, man. Other than for you to tell me it's a good, it's an interesting news day. Yeah, there's a lot. There's so I'm excited, but interesting like stuff. the takes Stop are going to the takes are going to be like super fresh out of the yeah, oven today, the hottest. Because Ooh. I have no, I'm I'm hearing it as you're reading it to me. I've prepare done no yourself prep. for some Gary Witta hot takes. But to be honest, how much do you takes. normally prepare before? I the show? usually you glance at a headline. I usually don't think that you have like these well informed opinions. As I've said. Well, you guys, you guys don't pay me enough to prepare. True, that is that is very uh, true. Usually, usually, what happens is I get I, I'm in here like 20 minutes before the show. Mm-hmm. The show notes are printed out for me, so I, I at least get 15, 20 minutes to see at least what's in the news. Today is going to be show. completely fresh. Yeah. Fresh, in fresher hot. than fresh. Hot. I love it, man. All right, let's, my, see, let's my try first, it. My first update for you and for the people out there. Yeah, Gary, here is the situation. What is it? A couple days ago, I got my hair cut, and it was, okay, it was bad. It was really. Why bad. was it bad? Yeah, it looks fine. Now. This is haircut V two. Oh yes, yeah, so I had to get a haircut on my haircut. That happened to me once years ago. I had a haircut that was so bad I had to go get it redone. It's horrible. Yeah. So I was kind of at a point of just disarray, and I just couldn't handle myself. I was so embarrassed that I didn't want to go hang out with my friends last night. What was so bad? The way that what I was looked. so bad about the haircut? Do you have a picture? They didn't of it? fade it at all. Oh shit. <laughs> it's ba- it was bad. That, that looks like you're wearing a hat. I I know I know. It, it was definitely not my finest did you, moment. Did you? So when they when it was done mm-hmm. and the guy kind of has the mirror, did you did so, you say to him, "I'm well, not here's happy"? The problem as it was happening, I realized there was an issue because she didn't speak any English, and I was uh, trying to communicate. Was this with not her. like your regular person? No, I fucked up, and I went to a place I don't normally go to. Okay, and so that, that didn't go well, and it ended when it ended, and she said, "Oh, sorry." I was like, "Oh, fuck." And so anyway, I went to I went back to a, my normal place, and I was like, "Here's the situation." I need your help. And man, she committed so hard. She's like, I'm going to do everything I can. And I've never had someone fade so from every, like it's normally they go from like the one to the two to the three, whatever. Nah, she was like one eighth, two eighths, three eighths going all the way up. God, this ain't, this so ain't the best. that's why it's so short because it's the two haircuts on top of each exactly, other. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So it's like this side, not looking too great. This side, I'm okay with. It looks normal. But anyway, Please bear with me during during my struggles. <laughs> this is going to be a hard time. They did a good job. It looks I said good. it this way. It's like, you know, I feel like it's my hair is Jon Snow, right? It used to be the best thing ever, but then all of a sudden it died, but then it came back to life, <laughs> and it might be a little stabbed up, but at least it's not dead. Right. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kind of Funny Games Daily, each and every weekday right here on twitch.tv slash Games. We get together to talk about all of the video game news that you need to know. You can watch it live on Twitch, or you can watch it later on youtube.com slash Games or roosterteeth.com, or listen to it on podcast service services around the globe just search for kind of funny games daily uh to be part of the show you can head to patreon.com slash kind of funny games where bronze members or above get to write in and silver members or above get the show ad free uh we're talking about a whole bunch of cool stuff today including division two um some matchmaking kerfluffles going on over there uh we got some konami news that might shock you um, and some updates on Last of Us Part 2 and its development process. Um, housekeeping for you. Today at 3 p.m. Pacific, 
Nintendo is doing a Mario Maker 2 Nintendo Direct, and I will be reacting to it live right here on oh. Twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. That should be fun. Get hyped for that. The Kind of Funny Games E3 Showcase is June 10th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games. A really cool thing um, every once in a while or every year, I guess. Um, E3 and Reddit put out this like giant infographic of all the different press conferences and uh the time zones, depending on where you are in the world, so how you can watch them. And the Kind of Funny Game Showcase is on that list. Oh, wow. You, you guys are in the big time. We're one now. of them big boys. We're in between, I think, Ubisoft and Microsoft. <laughs> I'm like, I'll take it. Um, thank you to our Patreon producers, Tom Bach, Blackjack, and Muhammad. Muhammad. Uh, today we're brought to you by Robin Hood and Brooke Linen, but we'll tell you about that later. For now, let's begin with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. <laughs> we got six stories today. A baker's dozen! Exactly. Um, so we got some Splinter Cell news? Question mark. Oh, was the, the, this was a troll here. tweet, wasn't it? it was I a saw troll this. tweet, but we got the confirmation okay. that it was a troll tweet. Okay. So, so here's what we got here. This comes from Andy Chalk over at PC Gamer. I'm going to start with yesterday's original story. Rumors of a new Splinter Cell have been kicking around for ages. In 2018, Ubisoft Chief Creative Officer. Sergey said the company was fighting for resources to make a new game in the series. And in April of this year, CEO Yves Guimot said that the company is taking care of the brand and that fans would eventually see something. <laughs> that was in quotes. Uh, and then today we saw this. Uh, Julian Garrity uh, put out a tweet saying, working on the next hashtag Splinter Cell with at Dan Haynow and at Rom Comor in hashtag Lion. Can't wait for hashtag E3. Crossover with hashtag The Crew 2. Only missing at Ghost Recon and at Rainbow Six game. But on their way, hashtag Far Cry, hashtag For Honor, hashtag Division 2, hashtag Rainbow Six Siege, hashtag Ghost Recon. Uh, so he's a creative director at Ubisoft, which is to say that he's a man in a position to know something is being developed. Uh, lending even more weight to this bizarrely out of nowhere, uh, he just tweeted it out moment. Ubisoft Montreal creative director Dan Hay retweeted it. I guess that's pretty much that. Uh, and then Julian says, okay, please don't retweet. I may be in trouble. <laughs> oh, my God. So it sounded uh, like this was some kind of drunk tweet, wasn't it? Like they were at, a they were at like a, an Ubisoft um, gathering where mm-hmm. all the creative directors were together, like some kind of seminar or something. It sounds like they got drunk. And did a stupid Just tweet. Just a little fun. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it caught fire. Mm-hmm. So here's the update to the story. A Ubisoft rep issued the following statement in response to our inquiry. Quote, Julian was obviously joking as Julian likes to do. <laughs> it looks like our creative directors are having fun right now. We do not have any announcements to make at this time. Uh, I don't actually know what Julian likes to do, but I do know that after months of making noises about Splinter Cell and with E3 less than a month away, a Ubisoft creative director uh, stating flat out that he's working on a new Splinter Cell, if that's not actually the case, is not so much a funny gag as just a really bad idea. Fans very clearly want a new game in the series. Mocking that desire is a bad look all around. Uh, Gary Lee changed his Twitter background and icon to Splinter Cell shortly after the tweet that got the ball rolling, but he's since changed it back to the Division 2. The tweets themselves are still up, however. We'll keep an eye on the situation and let you know where it goes. Thank you, Andy Chalk. Yeah, I saw I saw Julian. I like Julian. I follow him mm-hmm. on, on Twitter, and um, I saw this morning that he was joking about um, how, do, how do you delete a tweet. Like He, uh, he, he obviously realized that, uh, you know... It was it was dumb, right, to do it because yeah. you got to you got to know enough about you like read the room, right? You know, enough there's a responsibility. A joke tweet like that from a person in a position to know mm-hmm. um, can easily catch cause fire, a lot of harm, which is which is what it did. Yeah, I imagine Julian has been uh, has had a couple of couple of conversations with with higher ups about you know silly tweets like this. No real harm done. Um, 
you know, Splinter Cell is obviously there's going to be a new Splinter Cell, right? It's one of their one of their core brands. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to just let that sit around. They'll make. It's one. been a while. It has, right? When was the last one? I'm going to look into that right now. I, I want to say it was something like 2013. It's been a while since we saw a Splinter Cell, and I like the Splinter Cell games too. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been the right amount of time. You know, 2013. Uh, okay. Splinter Cell Blacklist. Okay. Um, back in August 2013. Yeah. So am I right in saying there hasn't been a current gen Splinter Cell game? Oh, right? yeah, no, no. So it's it's definitely. So by the time we get a new one, maybe this. My guess is if they're working on something, it's probably next gen, right? So this mm-hmm. generation might go. There might not be a Splinter Cell game this generation. That would be interesting. Although Splinter Cell does seem like the type of game you can. I mean, if they've been working on it for a while. My guess is they probably get do both. Out. Yeah, there'll be like a like PS5 and PS4. Maybe you think? I don't. I feel like it could be just firmly PS4, depending on if they've had, be, if it would have to be first, really depending imminent. on if it was real, right? <laughs> then depending on how long they've been working on it, it's definitely real. There's just no way that they're not working on a Splinter Cell game. Mm-hmm. It's just common sense. Um, so then a little kind of follow up to this in a, in a way, uh, Ubisoft announced its financial reports, and the one interesting thing that came from that is Ubisoft has announced three unannounced AAA titles coming by March 31st, 2020. They've announced three unannounced titles? Yes. They've announced that there are going to be three titles, but not what they are, basically. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like, you know how like Disney will put out, like, right, they, right. we got untitled the release date, project. but it's yeah, untitled. Yeah, yeah. That type of thing. Um, you got to imagine that if it's March 31st, 2020, we're going to see at least two, if not all three of these, at E3. Right. Right? Ubisoft having its press conference. you got to imagine one of them is Watch Dogs. Yeah, maybe Watch Dogs 3. in London. How okay. does that make feel, you feel? You I like the. I jellies? mean, I, I love it when they recreate these cities. I actually want to play Watch Dogs uh, too, if only because it's you know it's San Francisco and that's cool, and mm. I want to walk around a city that I recognize. London would be a cool one as well. I, I still remember. I don't know if you remember the um, old PS2 game, The Getaway. Which mm. was set in a very realistic uh, version of London. That was great fun. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I could totally see Splinter Cell being one of these games. Oh yeah, I, I I would I would bet money on it. And if it is, I don't think it's a PS5 game. I think it's a PS4 game. What do you think the third one would be? Not Assassin's Creed. I feel like Not I'm Far missing. Cry because we just did that. I mean, maybe they pump these I mean, things. It can't out be pre- Ghost Recon because they they just announced they announced that. that. Do you think Ubisoft has any room for like a new? Maybe it's something completely new, or do you feel yeah, like their stable of franchise is already pretty pretty busy? Yeah, but they, I mean, you know, Ubisoft has a bazillion studios, and they yeah. just keep kind of expanding out. They just recently got those studios up in Canada, right? So I don't know what they're what they're up they have to. They have a there. lot of bandwidth. What would you want to see most from Ubisoft, though? Well, the answer would have been more division, but we already got that because the division is my favorite of, of the Ubisoft franchises. That would be my favorite. My wife would say she would want to see the next Assassin's Creed, but again, right. we already know. Is that announced at the end? Because I know it's set in Viking times, right? Is that, that been officially announced, announced, or is that still in the rumor? That, that's definitely maybe that. Maybe Assassin's that's it. Creed's always in the league. No, they, there's no way that they'd put out an Assassin's Creed that soon Didn't after they, they already did take, them back to back. What? Didn't they say they were going to take another year off or something? That that sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, but twenty but twenty twenty would they would be taking twenty nineteen off. Yeah, but March thirty first, twenty twenty. Uh, okay. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, as Origins and uh, Origins and and Odyssey were back to back. They were back to back. But then after Odyssey, they said we're going to just do DLC for a while and let mm-hmm. it let it rest, let it breathe, which is um, a good call. Which I think is a good call. Um, so I don't know. I think maybe there's room. I mean, is it like another For Honor? Is that could that be a thing? Mm, yeah, it probably could be. Prince of Persia, though, is the right answer that I was looking oh, for. Oh, now want, that has been sitting Prince around. Yeah, and it's weird that they've let it sit for so long. I get that that I franchise that kind that. of evolved into Assassin's Creed. Right. You know, um, but having said that, I feel like now's the time Ubisoft. Give it to me. 
We're, a couple, like, we're at a point now where Ubisoft basically, I saw someone talking about this the other day, basically just make one kind of game, right? Which are these big, sprawling, open world um, action adventures with like stealth and there's like a million side quests and stuff. It's just a question is, is it in ancient Greece or is it in modern day San Francisco? And there's obviously differences in each one, but Ubisoft has now basically settled into making essentially games in one, variations on one genre. Would you agree with that? I feel like that's kind of a dumbing down of the reality of... Well, I mean, that, make, that's what I bring to the show. Yeah, yeah, the dumbing there down. we go. Uh, but no, I feel like it's more like they, they really have a fine-tuned grasp on modern-day game mechanics. Right. And I feel like what used to be, oh, it's a Ubisoft game four years ago was an insult, and now saying, oh, it's a Ubisoft game is a compliment. Because right. it's not so much that it's the same game in a different packaging. It's more taking elements that just work really well with game design um, that aren't intrusive and applying them to genres that we're familiar with, right? Compare that to what we see going on with EA, and it feels like they are just ass backwards falling into this stuff, where Ubisoft's kind of like honed in on what works and what doesn't, and it's why launches for Division 2 are so good compared to other similar games, right? And I feel like it, it took them a probably the first half of this generation to understand. You know, we... Watch Dogs 1 felt more like a fumble compared to Watch Dogs 2 from a gameplay perspective, not necessarily from a um, sales perspective because Watch Dogs 2 didn't do that great, but it still did well enough. And I feel like Ubisoft just understands its library and when to release things and how to update them, seeing them kind of support games for years after they come out, like with Rainbow Six Siege. Mm -hmm. um, They can really turn things around. They did it with Division 1 as well, so... They got something special there. Speaking of Division 2, though, it's not all good news. Um, the Division 2 raid won't have matchmaking. This comes from Steven Totillo at Kotaku. It's a pretty long thing, but there's a lot here to digest. Adopting the approach of its shoot and loot rival Destiny, the Division's first raid set for release on Thursday will require that players manually connect with others to attempt the mission. Matchmaking will not be an option, the game's developers at Ubisoft Massive have confirmed, which has infuriated some players and lit up the game's social media channels. I'm infuriated. I'm getting, you're getting live infuriation from me right now. because I'm, takes, exci- baby. I'm excited about the raid, mm-hmm. but I don't know, you know, for eight players, I would suggest that the majority of the player base... Doesn't know what would, would, matchmaking would be really helpful. Like I don't, you got you know, now you've got to know seven other players, like personally know them, and and all agree to, to join up. That's crazy. So it gets interesting uh, because they have kind of responded to some of the feedback. In Destiny, raids are intended to be tough challenges filled with battles and puzzles that require communication and teamwork. The kind of stuff that strangers are presumably more likely to fail at. Right. The Division 2's raid will follow a simple template. It involves trying to liberate Washington D.C.'s main airport from an enemy force, and it's also being touted as a complex endeavor requiring lots of teamwork and rewarding victors with exclusive loot. It'll require players to have a gear score of. 490 or higher, ensuring it'll only be accessible to players who reach the furthest depths of its endgame. That's fair enough. Fans aren't just upset that they won't be able to play it if they don't know seven other players ready to attempt the raid with them. They're upset because an official promotional image for the game's online services released earlier this year stated, quote, matchmaking is provided for every game activity and difficulty level. Quote, 
We do understand people have pulled up things we've said in the past about this subject. So here's where it's at in front of me right now verbatim. Division community developer Hamish Bode said in the week in the franchise's weekly state of the game developer stream today before reading an official statement. We decided to not include matchmaking as we don't think this would make a good gameplay experience for random groups. The raid will test your ability to communicate well, have a good build setup, and will require great teamwork to beat encounters. We've been having a lot of discussions about it. Uh, we want to make sure this experience is an experience where you have to prepare for it, where you have to build a team, you have to organize yourself, you really have to try to define the builds that everyone is going to be using, the roles that everybody's going to be playing. Then you attempt, you potentially fail, then you talk about it, you change your strategy, and all of that. So communication, preparation, and organization are extremely important for us. For that, we don't think that matchmaking is a good solution. That would mean there's a risk that you would end up in a group that doesn't talk to each other, doesn't talk the same language, you didn't pre- get prepared for it. It's really not the kind of experience where you matchmake. Uh, you DPS and then you get your loot. It's something completely different. We're happy to keep the conversation going and see how it goes and how people like it and whatever and how important it is. And then depending on how the conversation goes, we will make adaptations. Okay. I All right. I can see that. I, I see that side of the argument totally. I, I it's, it's annoying to me that the raid is going to be less accessible to me now because I don't have like a big group of, you know, ready-made friends that I will, would be ready to go into it with, but I understand the I mean, reason let's, let's get this why going. they're doing Gary, it that way. We got Fran, we got you. No, they're different consoles. No, I'm on Xbox. Well, yeah. shit, you his, fucked yourself. See, I should, I should, I should have listened to <laughs> Greg, and I should have gone PlayStation. Oh man, because what a between bummer. because between the kind of funny uh, mm-hmm. group, I mean, I, I maybe I can get something going through the kind of funny clan. Yeah. on Xbox, maybe that's a way to do it. I und- I understand, you know, having done like what like currently pre raid, the most difficult activity in the game is the title base and stronghold. Mm-hmm. Now, if you try and do that with a pickup group where there's no, you know, voice communication or no discussion about how you're going to handle the encounter, that's much more difficult than if you go in with a group who know each other's strengths and can talk and communicate and you've got a plan going in. So if the raid is, as it sounds like an order of magnitude, more like that, where you've really got to work together and discuss and, uh, make sure that everyone's got the right build. It's like a proper raid, you know, mm-hmm. like a real MMO raid where, you know, you need to make sure you've got the right uh, mix of classes and everyone, you know, is in communication and know what they're doing. I understand. I, I totally, as much as I was first really frustrated and upset when you told me there would be no matchmaking because I've been looking forward to the raid and I feel like it's going to make it more difficult for me now to experience that. I think, if, I think their point is probably right. That if they did allow matchmaking, I would just be more infuriated because I'd be getting involved in these encounters with randos and pickup players who aren't, you know, we're not really a team. We're just eight players running around. Yeah. And this and the raid is, I'm I'm assuming, has been built to really require you know you to work as an eight player team where everyone mm-hmm. knows what they're doing and there's a, there's a plan and a strategy. Um, so I, I I get it. I'm disappointed, but I but I understand it. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a catch twenty two where it's damned if you do, damned if you don't with this because uh, you're right. Like if if it was implemented and it wasn't making people happy. People would complain and be upset about the experience being bad. I like that they're really doubling down on like, no, there's something here that we want people to experience a certain way for a reason. Um, and I shout out to Ubisoft. Me and Greg always talk about transparency being so important and we, about how Ubisoft's so great at it. This is so great that they're looking at the, the issues at hand, directly addressing them. And talking about, like, yeah, we did say this in the past, and here's how it's changing, here's why it's changing. And, you know, that doesn't, like, excuse everything, but this is really kind of the best they can possibly do. And I commend them for... I mean, I understand it. I mean, again, if you think of it as, like, a real... Ra- I, used to, I used to do, back in the day, I'm old enough to remember, I used to do 40-man World of Warcraft raids. Mm-hmm. 40. Did 40 you have to players. Walk 15 miles to get to school? <laughs> in the snow? 
Gary. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, in a way, it was actually in game. It was actually like that. It used to be part of the reason why I quit playing Warcraft because it eventually felt like I had a second job. That mm-hmm. was, I had an un- unpaid second job. It wasn't just the time committed to the raid, which could be hours, but also prior to the raid because you would raid like once weekly or whatever. Yeah. You had to you, well, you, well, you had to go away and do your homework. You had to make sure that you had all your all your potions mm-hmm. and you know all the all the consumables and materials that you would that would be necessary for the raid. And if you hadn't done your homework, if you didn't come to the raid prepared, the officers would chew you out. And eventually, mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck this! I'm supposed to be having fun." Yeah. I understand everyone's everyone's got to you know do their thing, but it felt like there come, come there's a level of like hardcore raiding in MMOs where they take it so seriously that it really is like having a, a second job. Yeah, and that to me got to be a bit too too much. But I understand I understand that this is kind of like that. You, you couldn't just jump into a raid in World of Warcraft as a bunch of randos with no communication and expect to achieve anything because mm-hmm. those bosses were built in such a way that. You know, it required a real coordinated team effort to take them down. If this is anything like that, which it sounds like it is, I understand why they don't want to provide what on the surface seems like a convenient feature, but is, is really just a gateway to players not having a good time in the raid because they're not prepared and they're not coordinated. Yeah, I, I get absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I want to point out again the, the last line here, and then depending on how the conversation goes, we will make adaptations. Good for them. Maybe they'll add you know, it later. They'll, yeah, they'll keep listening and try to figure out a way to make it work and make it less frustrating, even if that means changing what the raid is or making a different version of the raid for matchmaking right. content. I don't know. Something cool to keep our eyes on, but uh, I think they're doing a good job there, and it sounds like the raid's going to be fun. Besides yeah. all this, can't wait to hear what Fran has to say Yeah, about I'm going to see if I can cast. get on and give it a try this weekend. Uh, next story. A little Last of Us 2 stuff. Last of Us 2 is in its final stages of development. This comes from Alex Avard at Games Radar. The Last of Us 2 is even listed next to other 2019 releases like Rage 2 and Days Gone as coming soon on the official PlayStation website. But a recent update via Twitter from the game's co-director, Anthony Newman, suggests a 2019 launch isn't yet guaranteed. In a tweet announcing that Naughty Dog is recruiting to hire a large number of animators, game designers, and programmers to join The Last of Us 2's team, Newman said that the studio is now seeking to close out work on the game, suggesting it is in its final stages of development. Okay. I mean, whether we get it in 2019 or 2020, I don't really care. You know, I'm sure it'll be worth waiting for either way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, given it's one of those games that it's not going to be um, rushed out. Mm-hmm. They'll take the time to get it right. It's a flagship title for them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to wait. I feel like it's going to be one of the two. It's I've a lot of people are like, oh, it's not going to be till 2021. We have to wait for no, next gen. It and, and wouldn't be that far out, would it? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I mean, if they st- the fact that they're still recruiting people suggests that they're not really... They're not that close to the finish line, mm-hmm. but sometimes that's something that you do when you get close to the finish line. You bring in extra people to close it out. Yeah, and I mean, I, you got to imagine like a large amount of animators, game designers, and programs. It could just be for smaller side things, not like the core game, right? right. Like I don't know if there's multiplayer in this one or not, but like you know, other other modes that aren't um, specifically the core. If I had to make a guess, twenty twenty. Well, yeah, you think that's my guess. When twenty twenty, like March or something. Yeah. I can see that. Somebody's been doing that so much with the first party titles. Yeah. Um, not really having a big fall title. And I feel like it's getting a little late in the year to announce something that would be August or September unless right. they announced it soon. And, and right. Last of Us doesn't feel like that type of title. So I don't know. I'm very excited for it. Oh, yeah. So things going to be good. And a little more PlayStation news for you. Um, PlayStation is hiring an event manager. Uh, this comes from Reset Era user Silly Gamer. 
Sony Interactive Entertainment recently posted a new position of event manager with the job description referring to, quote, delivery of three to four major international events per year. Since Sony has started state of play instead of major conferences, is this a sign that PlayStation is now gearing up for PS5 and its formal announcement? Three to four major international events could be Gamescom slash Paris Games Week, PSX 2019, PlayStation Meeting 2020, E3 2020. Okay. Yeah, not too much here. It is just a job listing, but I think that uh, Silly Gamer here is onto something. Where there, we're we're about to hit this new generation, which means conferences that we don't normally get the the once in a generation conferences where the it's hardware kind of the, reveals. Here's yeah. the here's the reveal of the hardware. Here's the software lineup. Like here's what makes this special. Here's why you're going to need it. Yeah, for the even though Sony and a lot of companies seem to be moving away from the traditional big staged event. For software lineups, I feel Just like for the, three. for the but for the hardware reveal, I feel like we're, they 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 still want to do the whole you know dog and pony show for that, right? Yeah, they want to they like they love having their little moment when they get to stand up on the stage with the lights and the laser shows and I get it, all man. that bullshit. So I want to live my life. Yeah, all the time. yeah. Um, I feel like that that we're gonna see a return to form for Sony next year, um, or maybe maybe. What do you mean by return to form? In terms of once the PS Five is like thing that we've seen and like are talking about those games and more so than that once we move past the playstation 4 games that are just kind of looming on us of ghost of tsushima death stranding and uh, last of us part 2 like once we get kind of the next lineup of games whether they're at the end of ps4 beginning of ps5 both i feel like then sony's gonna still do the state of play stuff but i imagine they're gonna return to e3 i imagine that they're gonna have presence at gamescoms or Paris Games Week. I don't think it'll be both, but I think it'll be either that or that uh, with conferences there like they did in prior years, but they've been skipping out on. Will they bring back PSX? I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I feel like that's what I mean by return to form is that they they want to have those moments, not just to show off their box on stage, but to connect with gamers and to connect with the community that they've built because PlayStation does have something very special. Uh, Have you been to a PSX? No, it's. Unlike any other convention I've been to, um, just in the in the sense of like who is there, like the clientele there are passionate fans that are all there for one specific love of gaming. PAX is a bit more spread out where it's kind of just a love of the culture. But PlayStation Experience, especially when they did the uh, conferences uh, a couple of years ago, it was so special to have games being revealed on stage with you know, Shuhei coming out, all them talking about it. Yeah. Having an audience lose their minds at Adam boys, you know, because they, I mean, they give a shit and they care about who he is. <laughs> right. Um, but it's not just a bunch of cynical journalists like us. You know what I mean? That's right. me and you. Right. Um, it's people that are like hype as fuck, losing their minds over what's being shown. Yeah, the hardcore enthusiasts. Even if it's something like, Oh, Yakuza zeros coming to America and people are like, ah! and it's like, you know, Meanwhile, at IGN, if they announced that, the war would be just dead silent. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, they're playing to their base. Yeah. So I could see them wanting to wanting to bring that back, gear it up somehow. I'm hoping we get a, a PlayStation meeting 2020. The last time we saw that was when they announced the PS4, and it was just a random day in February. And they're like, they invited people out to New York, and that they just made the reveal. When do you think they will reveal the PlayStation 5? When and When and how? I feel like the easy answer is next February at a PlayStation meeting event. Okay. Just copy what they did with PS4. You don't think we'll see anything at E3 this year? 
I mean, no, we won't. They're oh, because Sony doesn't have a there. presence, right? Yeah. I imagine we're going to... We've gotten State of Plays twice now. One in March, one in May. We need to get a couple more to really figure out the cadence of how often these are going to happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if their goal was to every two months have a State of Play come out. Not all of them are going to announce release dates for Last of Us Part Two, but some of them will. And I feel otherwise, you got to fill that in with just kind of the, the smaller stuff, the third-party partnerships. Well, I mean, we State of Play is now, they're on the same track as inside Xbox and Nintendo Direct, right? Which is just every couple of months, here's an update on the latest shit we've got coming. Like, nothing nothing truly spectacular, because like a hardware reveal, that gets its own event. Mm-hmm. It's just like, here's the next wave of games that we're, that we're announcing, yeah. basically. But, yeah, I think that... My guess is that Sony's not at E3 this year. I don't think they'll wait until E3 next year to announce something. I do, mm-hmm. I do think you, you'll see some kind of you know tailored event. I think it's silly to announce hardware at E3 at this point. There's just too much noise going on around the event, and not just the week of anymore. E3 is now a month-long endeavor. Um, and I feel there's no reason to kind of have to share the spotlight of announcing a new piece of hardware um, with anyone else announcing games. Because at the end of the day, as exciting as hardware is, there's nothing more exciting than the games you're actually going to get to play now or soon. Oh, I would, I would, I would argue that a hardware reveal is like the most exciting thing that you can you can do. But only if you have anything to back it up. You need games to show to back it up. And like, for example, I feel the one group that is uh, not in the same category I'm talking about is Microsoft. Where this year, I feel like they are going to show their stuff at uh, E3. But I feel like that's because that's all they have to show is talking about a next generation system. They don't have the games. And if they did, the games would be more exciting. You know? But we'll see. Speaking of E3, uh, Netflix will be there. This comes from Janet Garcia at IGN. Netflix will host a panel at E3 this year called Bringing Your Favorite Shows to Life, Developing Netflix Originals into video games. Uh, The company said the panel will consist of game developers and show creators who are feeding fan passion by adapting Netflix original content into video games. IGN's own Lucy O'Brien will be hosting the panel. Prior to the official invitations going out, the official Netflix uh, NX and E3 accounts discussed the details rather publicly on Twitter to build excitement for the event. As for what games the streaming giant will actually highlight, Netflix mentioned the upcoming Stranger Things 3, the game, but added that there's definitely more to come. Given that, it's possible we can get some new game announcements at the panel. This do anything for you? Not particularly. I think I think what's what what might be more interesting is you know to see. I don't know and if, whether or not they'll talk about this, but you know Netflix is making a push towards um, bringing interactivity to its shows. You know, we saw it with Black Mirror, uh, you know, Minecraft Story Mode. There's a handful of, of um, uh, Netflix shows which have a, a certain degree of pretty basic but some interactivity, you know, mm-hmm. choose-your-own-adventure type stuff. I think that I think that's going to get more sophisticated as we go on as well. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, Stranger Things 3, the game... Did you see it? Do you what? remember it? They showed a trailer for this at Game Awards. I don't really care. Yeah. No. I'm not a stranger. I don't really care. I don't like Stranger Things. I never got into it. Yeah. So I love you with your little catchphrase. <laughs> well, oh, I right. just don't care. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't thinking about that. But yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what what is what what are some other Netflix shows that would make? I mean, a Black Mirror game would be cool, right? A Black Mirror video game, kind of like mm. a dark dystopian, uh, they, almost they, like a cyberpunk type of uh, like adventure. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. Didn't they do that Black Mirror? Netflix? Yeah, that's what he was. Well, that's about. what I'm saying. So they did Bandersnatch, which was basically a TV show with some but wasn't that Black some branching. Mirror? But I'm talking about like a full-on game. He's talking about the other way. Got it, got it. Yeah. I don't know. what Kev, what originals do you think that would be interesting? Like, Stranger Things makes sense. I mean, I, I immediately go to, like, super-powered people. 
you know, like uh, what's the, what's the other one that they did that uh, had uh, superheroes recently? It was Sabrina, the Chilling no. Adventures of Fuller Sabrina, House? the game. Fuller no, House. I'll go for that. No. I like where your head's at. Ooh, Still one more season coming. Altered Carbon, someone says in the chat, and that would be really cool. Oh, Altered cool. Carbon, okay. Uh, Umbrella Academy is what I was thinking. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they've, got yeah. bunch of, they've got a bunch no, of interesting properties. I don't know properties. that I would like that. Altered Carbon would be really cool. Altered Carbon's a good it's one. It's a cool concept of like pulling out those little discs and putting into another body. Yeah. And upgrading yourself and stuff. Huh. All right. Well, we'll see. He's not too far away. Um, and then my, my last news story for the day. This is uh, the one that I said might surprise you. Konami. Just had its most profitable year ever. What? <laughs> Pretty what? weird. Driven by what? Driven by their pachinko machines. Hey. Oh, right, because that's what they do now. Yes. Um, Konami has historical operating profit, five consecutive years of profit growth. Look at that chart. <laughs> Wow, that is a that is a very uh, compelling upward arrow. Um, pretty much from 2014 on, it is just up, up, up. Uh, and if you do the math on that, that's like really kind of looking at when they stopped making games. You know, have uh, they? Metal have they has Konami full on there. stopped making video games? So they haven't, and and that's the thing is uh, there's there's a lot to to take kind of take in here. Um, they have been really kind of investing now in collections and. Bringing back old games, repackaging old games in different ways. Um, there's the Castlevania collection they did, or, or, or is coming out soon. Um, the Contra collection, the arcade collection. There's a Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, Legacy of the Duelist collection coming out. Like They are really kind of hunkering down on the nostalgia of some of the classic games that are amazing and right. really good. Oh, yeah. Um, and like they're not making all the wrong moves. And I think that's a, an interesting thing here. Well, financially, clearly, clearly not. So... And even for the gamers. So this is another thing that came out today separate. Um, Konami tweeted out, we heard your calls and we will add Japanese title variants as a free update shortly after launch uh, to the Castlevania collection. Keep your eyes peeled for more details. This is an example of them listening to an outcry of people saying, hey, this collection's great, but it's incomplete. We, there's, there's things that we want from this. And they're like, you know what? Hey, we'll give them to you. And that seems like a very un-Konami thing to do. So I'm like, all right, if their their first Castlevania collection looks really good, the Contra one looks really good. We haven't heard all the announced games yet, but if they keep going down that path, if they eventually make a collection of Castlevania games that's the Game Boy Advance and DS uh, Metroidvania style games, that's going to be awesome, especially if they give a lot of love and care to the product itself. Um, but it is weird seeing a headline saying Konami just had their most profitable year yeah, ever. Yeah, because for people who maybe don't know, this Konami did uh, some time ago make this really strange pivot into uh, making pachinko machines for mm -hmm. Japanese arcades, right? Mm -hmm. And that's... I, I'd be fascinated, because I know very little about that. Well, I'd be fascinated to watch like a, a documentary about that. Yeah, like you know, because like what like what makes what makes a good pachinko machine in this day and age? They, that, I mean, to me, I mean, obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about. To me, they're just kind of all the same. Like the balls kind of yeah. trickle down, but like there's obviously a whole world of game design and variants and evolution in that in that world. Because Konami have done very very well. I'd be fascinated. I guess I guess the, the the more pertinent question from a from a gamer's point of view is like, do you think? Do you think we'll ever see, for example, because this, this would be the big one, do you think we'll ever see like another AAA Metal Gear game from Konami? I, I mean, no, but they'd be crazy that's not to. Massive, yeah, massive that's a massive, massive piece is, of property, I, but they have the whole like, you know, it would be a non-Kojima game, right? And that is something they, they would have to figure out a way how to move forward because obviously Kojima and Metal Gear have been synonymous from the very, very beginning since the very first Metal Gear on MSX and NES and I, the very first thing. And there was obviously a lot of 
controversy when Kojima left and uh, people weren't thrilled about the way that was handled. So we're, so on the one hand, Konami have got this incredible, one, one, of, one of the true kind of platinum franchises in games, Metal Gear. Mm-hmm. Um, but they lost their creator. They maybe have lost interest in making traditional video games. Maybe they're just happy to just let it sit there, but it well, seems like they're leaving a lot of money on the table. You gotta remember, the last traditional video game they made was Metal Gear Survive. And that was not well received. It was horrible. Right. And uh, people really, really didn't like it. Right. I, we've, we talked about this stuff a lot in the last couple of years, but I feel like now it's fizzed out because the conversation just went nowhere, but I wouldn't be surprised. And especially given their, their track record here of bringing back old things, if they maybe partnered with like blue point to remake metal gear one in the Fox engine, because they oh, own be cool. the engine, you know, Kona, or Kojima had to leave that behind uh, when he went over to do his own studio and partner with Sony and now he's working on the Decima engine for I mean that's 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 maybe one way forward like take a leaf out of Capcom's book with the Resident Evil games is just go back and and remake the classics I think Mm -hmm. if they you talking about Metal Gear or Metal Gear Solid Metal Gear Solid okay so yeah I I think if they were to take like Metal Gear Solid 1 which you know obviously looks very very Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't aged well as none of the been, PlayStation it's been re- games have. remastered to Twin Snakes before on GameCube, but right. But seeing like, a to super see it, modern to one, to see it fully remastered to the degree that Resident, that Resident Evil games have been remastered, I think would be very interesting. It just seems like a weird and strange situation that we have now—a gaming company that is sitting on some of the most blue chip properties in gaming. Metal Gear, mm-hmm. Castlevania. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are others that I'm not thinking Contra. of. Contra, right? So the three there, two of the biggest names in gaming. That because they've now decided the tiny or realized that they can make games. money in a in a in a different business, mm-hmm. that they that they would be happy just to just to let these billion dollar properties just to sit there because they, they don't feel like they need to do them anymore. Yeah. What a strange situation. It is it is very, very strange. Well we'll have to wait quite a while to see what Konami's up to and if they'll ever remake Metal Gear. But if I wanted to know what games were coming to mom and grop shops today, where would I look, Gary? You're not going to make me do it. Are you going to make me do it? Try. I've, I've, I've said it so many times. Yeah, you have. <laughs> I, I can't remember a word of it. I can't remember it. There it is. The official. If you just, if you'd, if you'd just said the official, the official, that would have triggered me. I, I would have well, got that it. Would it? The official. No, I'm, I'm bullshitting. I still don't remember it. <laughs> I'm so full of shit. The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the Kind of Funny Games daily show hosts each and every weekday. You really think I would have that down by now, wouldn't you? You think I do too. I don't fucking know it. Okay. There was one time that uh, I didn't have it in front of me and I panicked. Well, the thing is I've never had to learn it. If I was like rehearsing for a play, Mm -hmm. you know like when you rehearse for a play, it's what you're called. You're on on book for a while, which means you still need the pages in front of you. Mm -hmm. Eventually you practice enough, you can go off book. If you so, if you're working towards, you know, you're, you're brushing your teeth in the shower. The official list of you, you, you're, you're, you're learning it. I've never had to learn it because I know that I've always got it in front of me. Yeah. But if you suddenly yank the rug out from under me, I'm fucked. Yeah. Tim, can you do it right now without looking? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform, as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show host each and every weekday. Yeah, that's good. Yes. That's good. Yes. I, I think you missed some gaming somewhere. No, he got it. That, I think that was right. List of what? Upcoming software. It's not software and games or something else, no? No, I nailed it. Oh, well, proud of you. The official list of upcoming software as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show hosts each and every weekday. You missed across each and oh, every across platform. across each and every platform. God damn it. Out today, uh, Undead Horde on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch. Quar 
That's Q-U-A-R. Infernal Machines on PlayStation 4. Feudal Alloy on Xbox One. Delivered on PC. Iron Marines on PC and Mac. Necrolance on PC. Crimson Souls on PC. Uh, some new dates for you. This comes from Joe Scrubbles at IGN, made up name. Uh, Final Strike, Games, and Nexon have revealed Rocket Arena, a 3v3 rockets only shooter where no one dies, and you can sign up for a PC closed beta now. It's headed to PC and Xbox at launch with the promise of crossplay. Rocket Arena pits teams of three cartoony characters against one another using rockets to knock others off the map. The more blast a player takes, the easier it is for them to be knocked off. Essentially, it sounds like it's pitched somewhere between Quake and Super smash brothers this sounds awesome it could be fun this sounds like a party mode in the making there's no firm release date as of yet but an initial closed beta will run from may 23rd to 29th and you can sign up to be a part of it right now uh, the beta will come with six characters to try each with a different rocket type and a special ability six maps and five modes ranging from knockout pvp to a co-op pve horde mode to rocket ball which sounds a lot like rocket assisted football very cool. Check it out. Uh, Rocket Arena. Uh, now it's time for reader mail. But before we get to that, let me tell you, this episode is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started. So you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy to understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Kind of Funny Games Daily a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at games.robinhood.com. That's games.robinhood.com. And also, shout out to Brooke Linen. You spend a third of your life in sheets. It's about time for a bedding upgrade, and that's where Brooke Linen comes in. I love my Brooke Linen sheets. Greg loves his Brooke Linen sheets. We've been using them for years now. Uh, Brooke Linen's mission is simple. Make five-star hotel-quality sheets more affordable and easy to order. Uh, it's luxury sheets without the luxury markup. Brooke Linen sheets are named the winner of the best of online bedding category by Good Housekeeping uh, recently. Me and Cool Greg and the guys went out to West West Portal. We went to the Walgreens. We went to the magazine section, and I saw Good Housekeeping magazine. And I thought, hey, they recommend Brooklinen, and so do I, Gary. Uh, you get rave reviews from Business Insider, Apartment Therapy, and Men's Health other magazines that I saw on my trip to Walgreens. Uh, Brooklinen is the fastest growing betting brand in the world uh, with over 35,000 five-star reviews. The sheets don't just feel great, they look great too. You can mix and match over 25 colors and patterns to make your bedroom just right. Uh, Brooklinen is so confident in their product and all their sheets, comforters, and towels. They come with a lifetime warranty. You can get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code GAMES at brooklinen.com. The only way to get 10% off your first order and Free shipping is to use promo code GAMES at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code GAMES. Sign for the reader mail. Alec Bobco writes in. 
What's up, Tim and Gary? Piggy backing off of yesterday's first Nintendo game question. What's the game that made you a gamer? What I mean by this is what's the game that turned gaming from a hobby into a passion? For me, it was Twilight Princess when the Wii launched. I remember getting my first guide for a game with it and I played for about seven hours straight. It was my first long gaming session with the console I bought on my own for the first time. That's a tough question for someone like me to answer because I've been playing games for so many years. Like it wouldn't be something even vaguely recent it would have been something back from like the 80s or early 90s but i can't you know that's all that's all a blur to me now yeah. i don't know what would it be for you uh well yesterday someone asked what our first nintendo game was like what's the first nintendo game we played um and i feel like it's a weird thing where growing up in the age that i did i was just always a gamer like it's hard to remember a time that i wasn't because they were just around me yeah from such a young age um I was saying yesterday, like my first console, my dad had a Commodore 64. Uh, and I just, I remember playing Jumpman and all these like shitty ass old games. But like there was just something about playing a video game that immediately I'm like, this is for me. I like this. Um, but I feel like the moment that I became a gamer and it really had like my mind blown. Uh, and I've told this story before, but it's with Yoshi's Island, which is the first game I ever beat. And there was a moment I was a dumb kid. I was probably like five. Um, playing through this or maybe six and I got through the first world there's there's eight levels or six level eight levels in the first world right and I beat them all it took me a long time to get through it I finally got to the last level in the first world beat the boss and I was like oh my god I just beat this game and I felt so good about myself and then once the boss went away I saw world two, world two yeah and then I realized there's world two three four five six and I was like Oh my God, there's this whole world that I just couldn't even comprehend. And once you start learning the language of video games, that's when I feel like it, it hit me where I'm like, oh, this is my life. Like This is something that I, I want to be a part of me forever. That's a good answer. I mean, that's a perfect answer to that question. Do you, do you, are you just trying to dodge this one? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of an answer. But again, like for me, it would go back to... You know what I think it might have been? I, you know, I, I, I came up, you know, it's different. The, the, your, your path through kind of the gaming platforms is different growing mm -hmm. up in the UK. In the US, it's typically, you know, Nintendo, Sega, mm -hmm. those systems. And maybe on the computer side, a little bit of Commodore 64 or, or Atari 800 um, uh, or Apple II. That was popular as well. Um, in the UK, you kind of go spec, Sinclair Spectrum, Commodore 64, you know, Amiga or Atari ST and then like into the PC. You come up through more, likely through more of a computer trail. Mm -hmm. The Nintendo and Sega were popular in the UK as well, but the computer side was much more popular, particularly in the kind of the boom, the 8-bit and 16-bit boom of the 80s and 90s. So I, I was a, I mean, I was, I really, really liked my, my games on the Spectrum and the Commodore 64. I think the moment, if there was a point where I started really taking it seriously and thinking gaming is for me, is when I got my Amiga and started playing like the Cinemaware games like Defender of the Crown and Rocket Ranger and stuff like that. And those games that had the beginnings of like really good stories mm -hmm. uh, and kind of you felt like you were taking part in like an epic, you know, journey, not just, you know, you got to beat the boss, but there was like narrative context and yeah. you felt like you were part of a, a world with characters and this you were living inside this experience. I think I mean, that, that would have been the era. I don't know if I could point to one specific game, but I think that that was the era for me that I started to think this is what... I, I want to do and mm -hmm. that and, and shortly after I got my Amiga that was when I got my first job in 
um, video games working for a magazine called Commodore User back in 1988. So that was that that was when I started to, that when it became came out of just being a hobby and more like this is what I'm gonna this is what I do now. Yeah, it would have been around it would have been around that period. I wasn't born yet. You weren't even born. Were you born? Eighty nine. Oh my god! So I've I've been working in video games <laughs> since before you were born. Yeah. Holy shit! Here you are, Gary. Oh my god! We have fun here. I oh love it. God. I love it so much. Uh, Dante the Clerk says, since most cell providers now offer an unlimited option for phones, what's holding Sony and Xbox back from allowing game streaming from my consoles at home to my phone? I've been playing Persona Five at work remotely using the the Rotor Rider. Rotor Riot controller on my iPhone, and it works great. I would love to also play on my commutes, and it seems like a great way to combat the portability of the Switch. Would love your opinion. Thanks. I feel like this is the future we're moving towards. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of playing nice that's going to have to happen between, um, you know, internet providers, cell providers, and streaming services, gaming streaming services, all of the above to, to make it work. But I think that we are about maybe five years away from this just being a thing. Isn't this the whole point of Google Stadia? Yes and no, because Stadia is meant to work with Wi-Fi. Right. Not with cell. Yeah, but 5G is going to change that. And that's the thing, is I feel like there's a a couple technologies that need to be a bit more synonymous with... uh, at least major metropolitan areas than they currently are. Like we're starting to see 5G commercials and like that 5G is being touted. 5G for, at the moment barely exists. And a lot, and a lot of what yeah. you see out there right now, like what AT&T hey. is calling it's 5G is bullshit. Yeah. But give it a couple of years and 5G will be, will be everywhere. It'll be the new 4G. It'll be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at that time, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, what Google is doing and what Xbox and every, everyone's going to be doing everyone. It. And I feel like we're in the next couple months, like E3 specifically, we're going to see the announcement of many streaming platforms. How many will fail? How many will succeed? I don't know. But I think that there is money to be had in gaming streaming services in the same way that when Netflix first kind of made it work, there was a million Me Too copycats. Right. And now it's kind of consolidated down into a couple but now they've figured out how to do it it goes back to what i was saying about ubisoft where they figured out the core thing so now we're kind of seeing a a new resurgence of new streaming platforms focusing on original content uh like cbs all access and uh disney plus and things like that yeah i think what you're going to see is you know again once day i mean this is this is exactly the promise of stadia right like assassin's creed or Days Gone or whatever you know, you name it, running in perfect fidelity, just as it would be around a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One on your phone. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there's a control issue. You'll, you'll, you'll Bluetooth a controller to it, no, or Wi-Fi a controller to it, no problem. The other business to be in right now, uh, or in the years to come, is going to be pop sockets. Oh yeah, you got to figure out how to hold it all together, you, man. You just need, need a little something like that, and then you can play, and you're all set. Perfect. Yeah. Beautiful man. Buy buy stock in uh, if you're on Robinhood. Yeah. Start looking. Start looking to invest in pop stock in manufacturers because that is going to be a big growth industry in the years to come. Let's squad up. Uh, Alfonso writes in. His name is Speaks Beliefs on Xbox One. Uh, I'm more than ready for the first ever Division Two raid on May 16th. I just need one thing. Seven more players. 509 gear score and member of third. Kind of funny clan on Xbox. Uh, most of my IRL friends and acquaintances are on PlayStation 4. I play most evenings and weekends, uh, Eastern Daylight Time. I practice missions daily and upgrade gear stats constantly. Shout out to Fran. Uh, currently, 509 will be 510 as soon as I'm able to upgrade my Chatterbox SMG. 
It's a lot of words, a lot of letters, a lot of stuff going I, on. I, but, I know, but I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah. Right? Well, there you go. I've got there a chat box. Uh, Alfonso needs help. Go help him. What's speaks, his game attack? Is this guy, this this is exactly what I'm looking for. I'm on Xbox and looking for buddies exactly. to do the raid. Speaks with. beliefs. Speaks beliefs. S p e a k s b e l i e f s. Speaks beliefs. Speaks beliefs. Xbox. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on the squad up because I'm yeah. in the same. Way. I, yeah, I'm man. also looking for people to raid with on Xbox. My gamer tag is just Witter. W H I T T A. If you want to raid on Xbox on Division Two, add me. Seven I'm in. You. Do it. Let's I'm go, in. baby. Uh, it's time for you're wrong. Let's see. Were we wrong about anything? Potentially. We had a couple of questions out there, like when was the last Splinter Cell, and like what you know what mm-hmm. what's Konami doing. But we answered the Splinter Cell mm. question 2013, right? That was the last one. Kebabs says, hold on, give me one second. I want to make sure that this is real. Yep. Uh, Kebabs sent this in. Jason Schreier reports Ubisoft's multi- multiplayer p- pirate game, Skull and Bones, is delayed indefinitely Ooh. and won't be at this year's E3. The game's creative director, Justin Farron, left late last year, so it's safe to say development has been struggling. Mm. If and when we next see Skull and Bones, it will I've likely be very different. Yeah. Um, they have shown that, right? They, they've, they've demoed that before, Skull and Bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, last E3. What else you got? Give me... We got a lot of silly people, a lot of funny guys in the in the oh, yeah. Ban it for life. Yeah, block, ban. That's it. Okay, so we, we did, again. Anytime we have a short, you're wrong segment. I feel like we did good. And anytime, I think me and you are on the show. I mean, that's the secret. We combo. are very rarely wrong. Yeah, it's true. I love you guys. Uh, tomorrow, it's me and Fran. That'll be fun. I'm sure there'll be a lot more of your wrongs tomorrow sucks. because of someone that will be at the table. It's you know Fran. Talking He's about. talking about Fran. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, then after that, it's Andrea and Greg on Friday. Um, check me out later, 3 p.m. Pacific, reacting to the Mario Maker 2 Direct. Are you excited about your Mario Maker guy? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Were you into it on the, on the, last, on the Wii U? I, I'm into playing it more than I am making the, the levels and stuff. Oh, okay. So I but like, do, you, do you like I to play the levels 3DS that people version. have made? I like create, playing the levels that Nintendo made. I feel like they're So you basically better. just treat it like another Mario game? Like kind the maker of, part of it is not so much of. for you? Yeah, but I'm hoping now with the Switch being way more popular than the Wii U that there'll yeah. be a, a better, a better uh, curation system and that I, I won't have as dire an experience. I think, as I it, I think you've Wii. got a better chance of finding uh, like player-made levels that are really interesting. I think more people are going to care, which is going to be good. Yeah. Because, you know, not too many people had the Wii U. I feel like Mario Maker is a brilliant idea. Um... And the Switch, we've seen it now. This is the third platform we've seen it on. This is the perfect platform it's gonna for it. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be great. But we'll have to check that out 3 p.m. later today. Until then, I love you.